welcome, friend. Who is this poor orphan kid who came from the Caribbean and rose in the Continental Army to become George Washington's right-hand man, his chief of staff? He led in the decisive battle at Yorktown, which led to the surrender of the British. He served in President George Washington's uh, administration. Who is this forgotten founding father? Uh, Historians now consider him the most influential founding father after George Washington. Well, Hamilton, an American musical, lyrics and music, and the book written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, it tells the story of American founding father Alexander Hamilton, critically acclaimed, immensely popular musical on Broadway, traveling around the country. It was inspired by the 2004 biography Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. I want to read that biography. I understand it's 900 pages. I'm ready to go for it. The show draws heavily from hip-hop, R&B, pop, soul, and traditional style show tunes, and it even casts non-white actors as the founding fathers and other historical figures. Miranda described Hamilton as about America then, as told by America now. Kevin Cloud is with us today. I'm excited to say he's the author of a book, God and Hamilton, Spiritual Themes from the Life of Alexander Hamilton and the Broadway musical he inspired. This is Brian Del Turco. Thanks for connecting with us today on Jesus Smart, the podcast, episode 139, God and Hamilton with Kevin Cloud. There's something about live theater experience. Some people have said it can be a spiritual experience. And some have said this musical creates a what the Celtics would call a thin place where heaven seems to merge with earth. Alexander Hamilton was a person of strong Christian faith. He experienced what uh, could be called the dark night of the soul in his midlife, including an affair, and yet he grew strong in his faith again in the latter part of his life. Why does this musical resonate so much with the culture? Because it's touching on themes of racism, slavery in that day, immigration. Alexander Hamilton was considered an outsider. Even Thomas Paine was an outsider, an immigrant incredibly used uh, in the revolutionary period with his writing. It also touches on the theme of gender, male and female. And Kevin Cloud writes in his book, he touches on these spiritual themes that we can see in Hamilton's life. The chapter which impacted me the most was the chapter on initiative. Hamilton was incredibly intense. He was fast. He knew how to overcome the resistance that Stephen Pressfield writes about in his book, The War of Art. The theme of grace, grace as not just remedial, but grace as empowerment to live according to design. Forgiveness. His wife was devastated by the affair. It was considered the first sexual controversy in American politics. She forgave him. The American founders are seen as brilliant politically. Some have have said they were the most talented, brilliant collection of political talent in Western history, and yet there were flaws. There is broken humanity. We know there was slavery at that time, and yet many of them knew that it could not 
remain. American ideals flourishing in the American experiment into our time. It's a fascinating discussion. This is part one. You'll want to be sure to catch part two next week. Here's my conversation with Kevin Cloud. You may have heard that beginning on July the 3rd, Hamilton, the smash hit musical, is now on Disney Plus, featuring the original 2015 Broadway production of the musical released on Disney Plus, and having captured the collective imagination of audiences across the globe, Hamilton has been woven into the cultural fabric of our conversation in society today. Why? Because it's touching on issues of immigration and gender equality, diversity and race, many of the edges in our national conversation. I have today with us an author, Kevin Cloud, who wrote God and Hamilton, spiritual themes from the life of Alexander Hamilton and the Broadway musical he inspired. Thank you for being with us today, Kevin. How are you? How is your family in Kansas City? Yeah, we're doing great. We're you know hanging in there like everybody else, but I'm honored to join you today and excited for our conversation. Me too. Kevin is a pastor. He's a church planter. He's an author. He earned a degree in fine arts and music theory from the University of Kansas and a Master of Divinity from Nazarene Theological Seminary. He's planted four successful churches in the KC area and currently serves as the Director of Spiritual Life at the Cultural House and Arts Conservatory in Kansas. That's intriguing. Tell us about your role there, uh, Kevin. Yeah, so the Culture House, we are a faith-based arts conservatory. So we do theater, dance, music, and art programs, both for kids but we also have a professional division that does uh, professional performances around town. Um, Our biggest performance is called the underground. It actually tells the story of the underground railroad and the, and the role that the church played in freeing slaves. And it's, it's a dance theater performance. And we perform it every year at the Kaufman center, which is the the main stage in Kansas city. It's this beautiful fine arts center in downtown Kansas city. And we've performed that every year for, I think 15 years or something like that. Now it's been a long time, Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a faith-based arts community and, and, um, I've been a pastor for most of my career, but I jumped over to the nonprofit world and working with this this creative artistic community for the last year now. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, you know, the Underground Railroad is is sort of a big theme here in Ohio, uh, coming across the Ohio River and up up into Canada. My family and I live near Oberlin, which was a key sort of a, with Charles Finney. Oberlin mm-hmm. College was the first college in the country to to have a black student as well as a woman student. Wow. And, and were a key um, aspect, uh, really, during the Second Great Awakening with Charles Finney and, and um, racial justice was, was a big theme with them. Very interesting. Kevin lives in Kansas City with his wife, Allison, and four sons, right? Samuel, Benjamin, Andrew, and Levi. How old are your sons, Kevin? So I'm going to try not to mess this up. Okay, they, they, that's me too. <laughs> so I'm, many of them. Yeah. They, uh, they are 16, 15, 13, and 9. Um, so two high school and middle school and an, an elementary school, lots of chaos in our house. You know, the, when we went to online schooling, uh, you can imagine it was a bit of a disaster with, with four boys and trying to do online with Corona and all that. Um, but they're great kids and, and, um, yeah, we're just trying to find a pool anywhere we can this summer to <laughs> go do something with the family. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Today's a birthday here. Our, one of our daughters is turning 16. And so right oh, after okay. this, right after this recording, we're going out to eat and we're outstanding. going to be spending some time by the lake. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful. Lovely. 
So tell us about this play in New York City. I, I know that you and your wife saw this play several years ago, and it greatly impacted you. What was your experience there? Yes, yeah, so we went to see the show, and by the time we saw it, it had been out for maybe a couple of years, and the press had just been crazy about it. I mean, they had just... Um, not only press, but people that had seen it were doing interviews and talking about how this was the greatest thing they've ever seen, how it changed their life. And I'd listened to some of the music and really loved it. And um, was we were able to get some tickets and I was really excited to see it. But I went to the theater thinking like, it can't be that good, right? I mean, it's a musical, but it can't be as good as everybody what everybody's saying. And then after seeing it, um, I left the theater just in a stunned silence. I mean, it was a brilliant piece of work. It was just absolutely a remarkable... Um, story, the dancing, the music, the lighting. I mean, mm. everything about it was just absolute genius. Um, but even more than feeling like it was this beautiful piece of work, I left the theater with a profound sense of having experienced God's presence really, in that theater and in that story. And there just were so many scenes in the musical that connected with important issues of faith and issues that I struggle with every day. And so after that experience, I went home and I just listened to the music. I mean, just just on repeat, just for Did months. Really? I just listened to it a ton. And then I started reading everything I could about Alexander Hamilton. I read the, the biography by Ron Chernow that inspired the musical. And then anything else I could get my hands on, I just was reading about his life. And the more I learned about his life and his faith in particular, the more I realized that this story is really, um, there are so many of the great themes of the gospel that are at the center of this story, Hamilton, both in his life, but also in the story that's told on the stage uh, for the musical. And I just knew so many people loved the musical and I just wanted to help people connect their connect some dots between the musical and these important themes that can really change our lives today. Mm. Yeah, you know, one of our daughters told us just uh, within the past week or so, I didn't know this, but you know, she works at a restaurant and some of her work is in the kitchen and so she has earbuds in and she she told us she has listened to the to the soundtrack for this about 200 times on Spotify. <laughs> and 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 can like almost quote it, you know, like sing I would, it. I, yeah, by that time, I bet she can sing uh, yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we've watched uh, part of this on Disney+, Plus, the music is phenomenal. What would you call it? It's like a blend of hip-hop and rap and... Yeah, I would say there's, you know, there's some hip-hop. There's, I mean, there's a lot of hip-hop, rap. There's also some more traditional Broadway tunes in there as well and okay. some nice ballads. And I mean, it's a really good mix of, of a lot of different styles, although pr the predominant style certainly would be kind of a hip-hop rap type of a style, okay. I would say. As an arts person, is, is there something about live theater that's different from other art forms in terms of a um, potential, um, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it other than a spiritual experience? Yeah, I think there is actually. I think that theater, I think for a number of reasons. I mean, as I was researching for the book God in Hamilton, I read across I read a number of your articles, both from actors and also audience members, who talked about theater almost as a community, a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. Um one theater critic talked about seeing Hamilton and talked about how it felt like a fresh wind was blowing through the theater as he saw this show. Um another famous actor talked about how going to see Hamilton was like going to church. Um, one of the actors of Hamilton talked about how performing in this was felt like community for him, felt like a community experience. And I, I think that part of it is, um, I think the live nature of it, where you're there in the present moment, having this experience with other people together in the theater and watching a live performance on stage, I just think it creates, um, the language I use in the book is that it can create a thin place. 
a thin place. Um, thin, yeah, thin place That's is a, from Celtic spirituality. It's a Celtic phrase, yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically the idea that heaven is not up in the heavens, very far away, up in the sky somewhere, but it's right here among us. But that there's a veil that separates it, and right. that we can't see through the veil. Mm-hmm. But that there's moments where that veil becomes very thin, and we experience an overwhelming sense of God's love, God's presence in those moments. And that happens a lot of times in nature, but it also happens in art a lot of times. And I think theater specifically, because of the live nature of it, because of the communal experience, can certainly lend itself to that as well. That's very intriguing, very fascinating. Now, Alexander Hamilton, I'm going to tell you, he's something of a hole in my um, (laughs) own understanding of American history. He's been called the Forgotten Founding Father. Why is that? Why is Alexander Hamilton? He was a co-author of the Federalist Papers, which, you know, was a collection of essays uh, supporting, I guess, the new uh, Constitution. Uh, or, or, or was it the Articles of Confederation? I'm, no, it was the Constitution. That's it, right. It That's was right. the Constitution. Okay, as they yep. were transitioning away from the Articles of Confederation. And who did he write that with? Who was um, his... It was, um, was it James Madison, I think, wrote some. I think and that's then... right. There's one other author, uh, John Jay, I think. Was, oh, okay, very good. Well, I, I think that's right. I'm more of a theologian than a historian, but I think okay, those are the, no, right, that, that, the right names. That's, that seems right. An overlooked founding father, an orphan, an immigrant from the Caribbean. He was the right-hand man of George Washington during the Revolutionary War. I, I believe he was the chief of staff yeah. uh, on his military staff. How do we not know about him? It's amazing, isn't it? It's a great question, and and it's one of the fascinating things about this musical is because before the musical happened, he really had become the forgotten founding father. Man, in fact, he's on our ten dollar bill. Yes. But before the before the musical became very popular, there were conversations at the U.S. Treasury about taking Hamilton off of the ten dollar bill. I remember that. And I think they were going to maybe put Susan B. Anthony, or I don't know, I don't remember for sure, but they were going to take him off. And then Hamilton just blew up, right? And there was this this huge surge, and people were writing the Treasury telling them not to take Hamilton off the ten dollar bill anymore. Um, but he really did go from obscurity to to this absolute cultural phenomenon. And and I don't know how that happened. I mean, as I read the Chernow book, um, you know, what Chernow said was mm. that if Washington was the father of our country, mm-hmm. that Hamilton was really the father of our government. That, that that besides George Washington, Hamilton probably was the most influential founding father. I mean, he created economic systems, he created government systems, he created the Coast Guard, the U.S. Postal Service. He was so fu- fundamental in the early developing of our government, but, but also such a key role in the Revolutionary War. You're right. He was Washington's chief of staff, um, which is a remarkable story in itself, went from this poor orphan kid from the Caribbean to America to rising quickly through the ranks of the Revolutionary Army and becomes Washington's right-hand man and, and, and just had an enormous impact on the revolution, led the, led the battle of, of Yorktown, yeah. which was the battle where the British surrendered and we finally won the war, which made him a war hero when he returned to New York. Uh, I mean, he accomplished so much in his life, and yet we knew so little about him. We we really had forgotten him until this musical kind of hit the cultural awareness, and now he's everywhere. Wow. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that in what sense would could God be behind this musical and bringing the message of this life to us at this time? Yeah, I think that, I think in a, in a lot of ways, I think part of why the musical is resonating so deeply with people is like we said earlier, first of all, it is a genius work of art. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable mm-hmm. musical. Um, but these these spiritual themes are really at the center of the musical that can really impact our lives today and transform us today. And not only spiritual themes, but even cultural themes. We talked about immigration. We talked about racism. We talked about um, um, 
issues of gender, these, these questions that are right at the center of the cultural conversations that we're having are really a part of, of the story that Hamilton is telling. And so I think the combination of all those things are why it's becoming so popular. And, and, and part of what I think God is doing through the story and part of what I hope to do with the book is help people see these spiritual themes that are at the center of the story and, and not only see them, but then apply those ideas to our lives today. So let me just give you one example. Sure. Um, I think one of the most powerful scenes in the musical is when Eliza Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton's wife, forgives him for um, the affair that he had committed. He had an ongoing affair with a woman by the name of Mariah Reynolds, and it goes on for a long time. And then he eventually confesses the affair publicly to try to save his political reputation. And it becomes the first government sex scandal. It's in all the papers. And sort of a, Eliza, midlife, sort can, of a midlife crisis of sorts. Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and you can imagine Eliza being absolutely devastated and humiliated and so angry with her husband, yeah. not only for committing the affair, but then for publishing the details of it in these, in these papers. And she must have just been so furious. In fact, there's a song in the musical uh, called Burn, where this is a historical fact where she burned a lot of the love letters that she had written to him as a way of getting back at him. I mean, you can just see this anger and being so um, distraught and then thinking, how can I hurt him for what he's done to me? And so she burns these love letters, which you can imagine were some of the most treasured possessions he probably had had. Uh, But eventually, so Eliza Hamilton, she walked deeply with God. She was a, a woman of deep faith and loved God. And I love to imagine Eliza wrestling through forgiving her husband. In fact, one of the one of the women who plays Eliza Hamilton in London, in the West End cast, um, I had her on my podcast, Forgotten Hamilton, and she talked about how when she plays that scene, she really imagines in her mind and heart um, all of the prayer that it would have taken for her to forgive her husband and how that forgiveness would have been almost impossible without God's spirit working in her life. But she forgives her husband. And when that happens, there's a moment where the chorus all sings out together, forgiveness, can you imagine? And that happens in the theater. You can feel the atmosphere change. You can feel the presence of this truth and this scene and this idea of forgiveness just confronting the audience. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton, he says that what live theater does, he calls them moments of actions or moments of action, where something on stage confronts our lives as the audience and really makes us need to respond in some way. And so I think in that moment of forgiveness, we as the audience are confronted and we're having to ask the question, am I going to be a person who forgives? Am I going to follow Eliza's example and forgive the people who have hurt me, who have wronged me, who have betrayed me? And that's one of just many, many scenes and examples from that musical that I think God is speaking directly to us challenging us and and asking us how we will respond as an audience. Now, tell us about Hamilton's uh, spirituality, his own faith. He was a person of faith from his youth on, and then I understand that later in life his faith was fervent again. In the middle, there was a sort of a dark night of the soul, I guess. Yeah, that's right. So, experience. What I've read, yeah, yeah. What I've read is that he so he grows up in the Caribbean and has a real relationship with God. He writes hymns, these beautiful hymns that speak very eloquently about his relationship with God and his experience of God. Uh, When he comes to America, he he goes to college at King's College where he would have gone to chapel every day. He would have attended church twice on Sunday. Uh, the roommates uh, would have talked, to, or didn't, wouldn't have, but they did talk about the fervency of his prayers, that when he prayed, there just was a weight to his prayers. And so you see really great- Person of substance, um, yeah. That's, that's right. You see, so you see this this faith that's just working out in his life. And and then through his middle ages, it seems, and it's it's impossible to know really, but it seems like he maybe fell away from that faith a little bit, and it wasn't as important to him through a number of those years. You know, for me personally, I like to imagine even things like going through war, being in the revolution, and just 
how that brings up all kinds of questions about faith and God and God's sovereignty and all the things that have happened and all the people that he had lost. And, and, um, but you do see this season where maybe it's not on the forefront, but then in his older, as he gets older, um, his children comment about how, how they would sit around with him and read the Bible together and how he had notes in the margins of his Bible um, on his deathbed after he was shot uh, by Aaron Burr. He was dying and he's calling for priests and pastors to come read him his last rites. He's, he's begging on the mercies of Christ as he's, as he's dying. Um, his wife, Eliza, who's by his, his, his bed as he's dying, he tells her multiple times over those um, few hours, he says to her, remember, Eliza, you are a Christian. Remember, you are a Christian. And just trying to remind her as, as she's going to deal with enormous grief and all the loss of her husband being gone, um, trying to find solace in this idea of her faith that he's encouraging her toward. There's a lot of stories of, of real authentic faith that you see in Hamilton's life, and and the musical captures that. I mean, the musical um, in the towards the end of it, and there's a song called "Quiet Uptown," and it, it it's after the Eliza affair has happened or the affair with Mariah Reynolds. It's it's kind of rocked his marriage, and his son also has been shot and killed, and 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 died on the dueling ground. And he's singing about how he's starting to pray again, and how that didn't used to happen, but how he's becoming a man of prayer again. Mm. That certainly is a part of his story and his life. And again, these moments just get captured in the musical and can really, I think, inspire us today as well. How, how did he meet Eliza? So Eliza was the daughter of a wealthy politician, uh, the Schuyler family. And I think the story is, and I, again, I'm, I always have to preface this by saying I'm not a historian. I'm a theologian more, um, but I haven't read a lot about him. I think that he just met her at a, at a ball. I mean, it's in the musical where they're at this this ball together. And I think they meet. And I do know the story is that they very quickly kind of uh, fall for each other and they start writing these, these letters back and forth like crazy. I mean, almost daily um, writing back and forth to each other and they get married pretty quickly. And, um, and then they, they have a really wonderful marriage uh, until um, this, this affair happens and it creates obviously a lot of animosity and a lot of friction in the marriage. But um, I think that's the story of how they met. Their marriage survived and he came back and, it's quite a it's it's quite a story. I think the chapter that really struck me in your book was the chapter on initiative. I don't know why that that chapter really really hit me. He was a person of intensity and speed and immense productivity. You write in your chapter on faith that faith as action and as movement, you know, as James says in the New Testament. Right. Um, tell us about this. His um, when he locked on to something, I mean, nothing stopped him, did it? Yeah, I think that. I think that the characteristic of initiative probably captures Hamilton's life more than any other word. I mean, I, I think the musical, the, the song, I'm not throwing away my shot. Right. It's a great song. Then a theme that we see throughout the whole musical. I think that could have been Hamilton's life mantra. Um, I mean, he comes to America as an orphan. He joins the revolutionary war and he just very quickly moves up the ranks. I think because of his leadership and his initiative and, and, and taking opportunities that come to him, there's one great story about how he was Washington's right-hand man and the famous crossing of the Delaware on the night of Christmas. Yes. Um, Hamilton was, was very, very ill in bed and had had a fever for a number of days and was very, very sick. And yet when he heard that the crossing was going to happen, Hamilton willed himself out of bed. He willed himself into the into a boat to cross river, and he goes and he joins the battle. and And many many famous generals missed lots of lots of battles because they were sick, and they were unable to go into war. But but in Hamilton, he just absolutely would not allow this sickness 
to keep him from, from this battle. And he actually played a, a pivotal role in, in one of those battles. And it's one of many examples of Hamilton being in motion, moving, not letting anything stand in his way. And I do think it's an important lesson in our faith, where in our lives, the question of how often do we get stuck in fear or insecurity or self-doubt? How many opportunities are out in front of us that we could be taking, taking a part of that we don't because these other factors keep us held back? And um, you know, I talk in the book about David and Goliath, about how the entire army of Israel is is shrinking back in fear, and David is the one man who takes initiative. And and it's this beautiful balance, though, right, of really depending on God and God's grace, but at the same time of full dependence on that. There's this initiative of running head head first into this battle, and and I think it's a great image for what our lives could look like. And I think the truth is, I know in my life, and for many of us, probably. There's a lot of opportunities that we miss out on that God could use us and wants to use us mm. that, that we don't take advantage of because we lack initiative. Now, Washington, he moved in faith in the face of, you know, what could be seen as incredible doubt, right? Or or, or fear, um, that crossing of the Delaware and fighting the Hessians. Weren't the Hessians hired by the yeah, British right. as, as yep, German soldiers right. and right. Christmas night or Christmas Eve night, whenever that was. And that's the night that, that, that Hamilton got out of his sickbed and would not miss that. Moving in the face of fear and and resistance, you 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 talk about Stephen Pressfield, who wrote the book. Is it the War of Art? Yeah, that's so, right. Sort of a play on the art of war from the Chinese right. Chinese general. Yeah, tell us about Pressfield and, and and how he can speak to us in this. You know, the the so called resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so he has a great phrase in one of his books where he talks about this idea of resistance, and the idea is that anytime we try to create something new, whether yeah. it's an entrepreneurial venture, whether it's a new relationship, even a new habit, yeah. um, or, or creating, create, doing creative work, that there's this force in the world that's actively working against this called resistance. And it's this, this, it's this thing that's telling us, don't try that new thing. It's going to be too risky. You can't pull it off. You don't have what it takes. Right. It's going to be a failure. Everybody's going to laugh at you. All these little voices that try to keep us from doing good um, creative work. And Pressfield says that that is present in every single creative act that we attempt. And, and I know in my career, I certainly resound with that. I mean, I was a pastor for 20 years and almost weekly as I would preach sermons, you know, I'd get about halfway through the process of preparing and this little voice in my head would say, man, this isn't any good. This isn't going to be used by God. You have nothing to say this weekend. And, and you just really have to overcome that. A, a new writing project my wife and I are doing right now is we're writing a musical. Oh, and every time I sit down to write a new song or to work on the script, this, this voice in my head says, you don't know what you're doing. Leave the musicals to the professionals. You can't pull this off. This is going to be a huge waste of time. And it can be incredibly discouraging. But when we, when we stare it down and when we take that initiative, um, we, we continue moving forward into the face of that resistance. There's a great passage in, in the Gospels mm -hmm. where Jesus reads the very first public reading of Scripture and gives a very brief sermon. And it says that the people were so angry with what he said that they drove him out to the cliff and they wanted to throw him off the cliff, right? And this is this is, this is his first act of public ministry. This is the resistance. And, <laughs> right. And, and you can see this resistance in the story. And, and if Jesus was fully human, and we really believe that, you have to think in that moment there was some self-doubt or some questions of, gosh, did I get this right? Is this what this is supposed to look like? Am I confused about something? Mm. And yet in the face of not only that internal resistance, but especially even the external resistance with these, these people that want to throw them off the cliff, the, the, the story in the gospel says that, that Jesus, though he walked right through the crowd and that he continues on in his ministry. And I think that's such a beautiful image of having this resistance come at us 
and we hold our place and we hold on to our faith and we take initiative and we walk right through it into the work that God has called us to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's a that's a great insight just on that instance in the Gospels with Jesus. So what would you say about grace and initiative? I think sometimes I, I fear that sometimes people may process grace and uh, process it in sort of a passive way, like it's a, yeah. it's a remedial thing that comes from God that helps fix something that we've really messed up on or... But but uh, seeing grace as empowerment and then you know combining it with our own initiative, what what do you say about that? I I know that those two have to be wedded together. That's right, and that's a great way of putting it. Is they are wedded together. They they both are absolutely essential for a flourishing life of faith. And and Hamilton shows this. Um, you know, the foundation of our lives is grace, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul says, "But by the grace of yeah, God, I sure. am what I am." And so everything he becomes is because of God's grace in his life. And you see that in Hamilton's life. He's he's a poor orphan kid. He's living in the Caribbean. Uh, his dad leaves their family when he's only five. Uh, at the age of 12, his mother dies. And so at a very young age, Hamilton is, is poor, has no parents, and has very real little future opportunities until a hurricane comes and really devastates the island he's living on. And Hamilton writes this letter in response to this hurricane. And the letter was so beautifully written that the local newspaper picks it up and publishes it. And these businessmen read the letter, and they're so impressed by this young man's intellect that they, they go and they sit down and they meet with him, and they end up raising money to send him to America and get his education. And so everything that Hamilton becomes an American, we talked before about how he really was the second most influential founding father, but everything he, he becomes in America, it's built on this foundation of grace. You know, Without that grace, none of it could have been impossible. And, and that's true in our lives as well. We have to always come back to this foundation of God's grace that has been poured out abundantly in our lives, without which we couldn't do anything. But because that grace has been given to us, now we go and we take initiative and we do what God has called us to do. And we, we boldly go out into the world and try to um, make the world a better place through God's, God's love and God's grace. And so those two things, I think, are intimately combined. Yes, you mentioned in your book the uh, teaching by Martin Luther, uh, sinner and saint, you know, simultaneously. I'm not going to try to pronounce the Latin phrase. Maybe you can take a go at it. But, <laughs> um, I probably can do much better than you do. <laughs> uh, simultaneously, sinner and saint. We'll just, we'll just yeah. give the English rendering. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, certainly this is exemplified in all of our lives. It's obviously highlighted in somebody of notoriety like Alexander Hamilton. So, yeah. um, you know, we're broken, aren't we? But yet... Yep. God's grace, and we take initiative, and we're looking to accomplish great things for God. What could you say about that as as, as Hamilton would uh, exemplify that for us? Yeah, yeah, I love that phrase. It's from Martin Luther. He says, we're simultaneously sinner and saint. And for me, even just saying it again today, it just brings so much freedom to me. And I feel this burden lifted from my shoulders about the truth that I'm not a perfect human being, and that I have things that are dysfunctional in my life and broken in my life, and, and I'm working on things, but I'm, I'll never be perfect. And I think maybe especially in the evangelical world, we feel so much pressure to attain perfection that is just totally unrealistic. And the more we realize that we are always going to be both things, that we will always be a sinner, but we are always also a saint in our pursuit of God and our and our, our love of God mm-hmm. um, and the way that we experience God in our lives is, is so freeing. And Hamilton's life, you see that, right? I mean, and, and not only Hamilton, but all the founding fathers, you see them accomplish remarkable things and wonderful things and really beautiful things. Um, some historians have said that, that that group of founding fathers are the greatest example of political leadership in the history of the Western world. Yeah, I read that. They, they literally, they took, they took this idea of democracy and they built a government out of it. They had no idea what they were doing, right? They beat the British 
And they had no idea how to form a government or how to create something that could last. And it was a brand new experiment that most people expected to fail, to be honest. So they were brilliant men and they did remarkable things. And yet they also had these horrible flaws from their lives. I mean, Hamilton commits this affair, um, which he considered one of his great personal flaws. Certainly the issue of slavery um, is an issue that's come front and center when this movie has come out. I mean, that's one of the things that um, you've seen in the public discourse is the idea that, that Hamilton the musical might even be a little bit too generous towards these founding fathers in the sense of how awful they were in, in this issue of slavery and owning human beings. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson, I read an e a recent article about how, you know, he's he comes across as this humorous kind of likable character in the musical, which is partly true about him, but he also had this relationship with this, this slave, Sally Jennings, yeah. whom, whom this article I read recently said that he kept her locked in, in a room in her basement for almost her entire life and was basically used as a sex slave in a lot of ways. And so you just see these awful things, but also these really beautiful things. And I think the trick is holding on to both and, and seeing the good and the bad and dealing with the bad best we can, but also not wanting to completely throw out their, their, um, the history there because they did a lot of remarkable things as well. And it's a, it's a very fine line that we walk um, both publicly, but also in our own hearts, right? I mean, we have days that we feel so good about ourselves. We think that we're remarkable human beings. And then other days where we just feel awful about who we are and what we've done. And so knowing that both are true all the time, I think is a really um, generous way to kind of go through this life. I appreciate Kevin Cloud and his work. Stay in touch with the podcast for part two of this conversation next week. Now for resources and links, you can go to the show notes page for this episode at jesusmart.com slash Hamilton. Be sure to go to the book website, godandhamilton.com. And also visit Kevin Cloud's site, kevincloud.me, M-E, where the byline says, live out your creative calling and share your unique gifts for the good of the world. To learn more about the podcast, go to jesussmart.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps to push it out to more people. Share this with one or two of your friends. This musical is now on Disney+. Plus. I'm sure that people are interested in this musical. They've heard about it. Maybe they've seen it. Maybe they want to see it. Maybe they would be interested in seeing the video capture of it on Disney+. Plus. Share this episode with one or two of your friends. We have an e-letter which goes out, Next Level Elements to Develop as a Christ Follower, as an Apprentice of His Kingdom. You can sign up for that free e-letter at JesusSmart.com. Well, my friend, Jesus is brilliant. History is messy, isn't it? Broken humanity, and yet Jesus is in the mix, reconciling all things to God. People, culture, society. It's not perfect now, but we are getting the foretaste of what's coming when Jesus comes again and releases the new heavens and the new earth upon us. He's brilliant, and so right now he knows how this life works best. Be sure to catch part two. See you next time.